I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the heart. The heart. Pastoring for these many years, there have been times that I have to speak to and minister to people who are walking through a broken-hearted moment in life. A broken heart. It's the, it's the, it's the mother who heard that her son is facing a long prison sentence. And, and I've been there, and I've had that mother just bury her head on my shoulder. And the racking sobs that she is experiences, her heart is broken in that moment. It's the parents, and I've been in that setting many times, when they thought it was going to be the joy of a new baby born in their family, but the baby did not live, and I've been in the room with them and consoled them and tried to bring comfort to them in that moment. I'm talking about broken hearts. The Scripture tells us in Psalm chapter number 56, that God captures all of our tears in his bottle. He numbers them. And there's a place in, in heaven where God has a shelf and there are, there are tears and the, the label on that shelf is broken hearts. The Bible tells us that Jesus came. He, he declared in Luke chapter 4. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And in those moments in life when I'm ministering to or responding to somebody in a brokenhearted experience, I point them to the Lord. We all grew up telling the story, Humpty Dumpty, he fell off the wall, had a big fall, and no one could put Humpty together again. And truly, there are moments in life when your heart breaks, no one can put you together again. You have to go to the Lord. A friend can't do it. You, 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 you won't be able to Google a word. The, the, the nice little label or magnetic thing you have on your refrigerator that encourages your heart. In a broken-hearted moment, it doesn't encourage you. And Jesus has to step in and heal the brokenhearted. Sometimes in life, not only are there broken hearts, there, there are wounded hearts. Wounded hearts. Something said, something happens, unintentional or intentionally, and it wounds the heart of somebody. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 14, it says, The, the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Do you know what it's saying? It's, it's very apropos for us now. The human spirit can endure sickness. We, we're going to get through this. We're going to recover from the COVID. As, as tough as it is, we're going to get through it. We're going to come through it. But, but the crushed, the wounded heart is the one that sometimes doesn't recover. It, is, it leaves the scar tissue, the emotional and spiritual scar tissue. Uh, if, if I could give you some type of an illustration to, uh, as an example, this is an uh, 8-ounce styrofoam cup. I pour this 8 ounces of water into this, and it will hold it and never leak. But if for any reason the cup is broken, crushed, 
then from that moment on, it will never hold the same amount again. It was meant to be full. It was meant to hold much more. But when it's crushed, it just can't bear it anymore. And that's some of us. Some of us, you're this cup. Your heart was crushed. Something, something occurred, and you're saying, I just can't bear it anymore. You, you, you feel like you're always overwhelmed by life. And you said, life should be much better. Life, I, I, I used to be able to, but I just, I just can't do it anymore. It's the, it's the couple that the spouse hears that, that their mate has been unfaithful in the relationship. And that, that cup, if you please, that marriage had so much potential and so many dreams, but once it's crushed, it feels like uh, it'll never be the same again. Oh, oh, God can heal. God God desires to heal. God can heal the wounded hearted. God, God can put that back together again. But for so long, it feels like the marriage is, is broken and you feel like it will never be the same. Perhaps it's the Christ follower that, that was wounded by the trust of a pastor. The, the pastor's integrity became something of a question and was compromised. And the person you had the utmost trust and faith in life, the person that you said, this is, this is the example, the, the living example of Jesus, and then something happens in their personal life and, and they're crushed. And you say, never again will I, I believe, never again will I allow myself to get so close to a church. Never again will I serve in a church. Never, never again will I put so much of my dream and my heart's in a church. And you're, you're like the cup again that you pour in and it just pours out. And you say, I, I'm going to keep church and I'm going to keep people at a distance. That's the wounded heart. Then, then the scripture tells us there is a sinful heart. A sinful heart. Yes, it's in Genesis chapter 5 excuse me, chapter 6, verse number 5. In fact, it is the whole basis of why God sent the flood. God says that he was going to send a flood. Why? Because he said that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That the heart of man was so sinful that it had become corrupted and sin lived in it and the sinful heart just infected so many areas and and all of society and all of culture was just was rotting with the with the disease of the gangrene of sin we see that today we see that today and 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 the the, the sinfulness of the heart ah uh, I, I, I've heard people listen to music and the lyrics of that music are, are so wicked and so vile. Sometimes it's, it speaks of violence and it, 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 it speaks of, of sexual innuendos and, and vulgarity at, at, at just kind of a, uh, at an affluent level. Just it spills out the most, the most hideous language and lyrics and talk and people are patting their foot to it. 
today, it seems like so many carry on a casual conversation and have to fill it with F words. And, and I just continue to appeal to Christ followers, church online and everyone in the room. We're called to a higher standard than that. The Bible says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart ought to be acceptable in God's sight. And nowhere in the gospel do you find that filthy language coming out of the mouth or the statements of Jesus. You will not find vulgarity in red-letter words in the Bible. And I challenge every Christ follower, guard what you say. Guard your heart. I read an article recently in, in the UK. They have come out with, with spray mud. Cans of mud that you can spray on your car. For the person that wants to look like they're out four-wheeling and they're that tough person, but they don't want to go out and be bothered with it and they, they, they don't have time to go out, but they want to look cool. They want to look cool they can actually spray their vehicle with mud. Now, if that doesn't say ridiculous, I don't know what is, okay? But somebody is buying spray mud so they can look cool. You know what? I think a lot of the things that people say and the, the vulgarity in your workplace and young adults in your circle, it looks cool. And if you get involved in it and you say it and you use the, what I call bathroom language and anything that happens in the bathroom ought not to be in our conversation with other people. We ought not to use that as adjectives and statements to describe people or describe life. But we spray the mud on. We want to we look like we're cool, and we want to look like we're a part of the crowd. I call us to be different, the sinful heart. And then, of course, there's the, the selfish heart. It would be remiss of me to not at least talk about that for a brief moment. The, the selfish heart. And, and every one of us, self-included, we all have areas of self, selfishness that get displayed. Yes, I, 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 I'm as guilty as anyone else. I, I work on and I try to suppress that pride and that self. And ever so often it comes out. But what we realize is when we are full of ourselves, we are fooling ourselves. When we're full of ourselves, we make fools of ourselves. Because that self-culture elevates up and, and we can get so self-centered that everything comes about us, and this is certainly displayed today in our selfie culture, our selfie culture, and the social media, everybody has to post what they think and their opinion is. And I'll just tell you, my rule on, on social media, if I can't build something up or build somebody up, I'm surely not going to tear them down. And I guard my postings on social media. But I want to talk to you about the pure in heart. And this is, this is in the gospel of, of Matthew chapter number five in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the words of Jesus. 
Matthew 5, verse number 8. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they're going to see God. You want to see God work in your life? You want to see God do great things in your life? From time to time, I hear people say, I don't see God working in my life. I don't see miracles in my life. I I don't see God working in in my situation, my home, my family, the way I do in others. What's wrong? Jesus self-diagnoses it here for us. Blessed are the pure in heart. Guess what? They're going to see God working in their life. Now it begs the question, what does it mean by pure in heart? Pure, what does it mean? Well, the word pure literally means unmixed, not diluted. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say of, their, of a pet or a dog or, a, or an animal, it's a purebred. In other words, it's not a mixed. It, it, it has nothing else in it. That, that breed of that animal is, it, it is, is not mixed. It, it, is, it is absolutely an unmixed bred animal, and that's literally what scripture means it says blessed are the pure in heart it means the person with an undivided heart (laughs) that's what it means a person with an undivided heart a person whose heart is not for god sometimes and not for their self sometimes a person that is not proclaiming well i'm for god but but i'm vulgar and i do this with the with a sinful heart or the or the corrupted heart. It's a person whose heart is undivided, who says above all things, I want to love the Lord with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to give everything I can to honor God, the pure in heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 26, the Lord says that I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Now, some of us, we struggle with a divided heart. We have some values, the way we were raised. We we have some opinions. We we have some background. We have some baggage. And we say we can never get past that. You say you've been hurt. Your heart is wounded. Somebody offended you. Somebody did something. You went through something. Maybe your own sin, your own mistake, or the sin or mistake of somebody else, and it has so affected you, you feel like you can't get past that. God's word is God will give you a new heart. God can heal your heart. God will give you a new heart. I say that to the wounded heart. I say that to the broken heart. God will give you a new heart. And I want to speak this weekend on the thought, turn right. If you want to have a new heart, then turn right. Every time you're confronted with something, do the right thing. The pure in heart. If it's in a business dealing, do the right thing. Turn right. If it's in a discussion or a debate, turn right. Just do the right thing. When it comes to a a disagreement with your own opinion and what Scripture teaches, just do the right thing. And the Bible says if we will do right, God will honor that, and you'll see God show up in your life. And I want to share with you, if I can, what I'm going to call three right turns. Real briefly, three right turns. And if you'll do this, God says, I will show up in your life. 
The first one, the first right turn is humility. Humility. Humility is willing to accept God's instruction. It's willing to accept instruction. That's literally what humility is. When I talk about humility, please, humility and humiliation is not the same thing. And many of us, we shy away from humility because we have the concept of humiliation and we've experienced humiliation and the shame it brought in our life. That is not the same thing. Humility is having a right view of ourselves in relation to God. Humility is having the correct view of ourselves in relation to God. The Bible says if we'll humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he will lift us up in due time. True humility is not putting yourself down. True humility is putting yourself under God. It's not putting yourself down. It's putting yourself under God. And the thing that comes up in all of our lives is pride, ego, and ego is, is defensive, and ego brings about guarded and resistance, and you know, you, no one can tell them I have the right to have my opinion. I have the right to do this. You can't tell me what to do. You know, whatever you have people tell you all the time, this is, this is the theology I've decided of social media. The theology of social media, here's the advice that people are giving. Believers and believers are liking it. Just be true to yourself. In other words, whatever you want to do and whatever feels good in the moment, that's what God wants you to do. Do you know there is nowhere in the Bible it says just be true to yourself? It says be true to God. It says to humble you. It tells me to crucify myself. It tells me to put aside myself. It tells me to humble myself before God. I, I need to see myself in right relationship with God. Not putting myself down, but lifting God up. Humility gives me the ability to receive God's instructions. And God says, if you will humble yourself, you're going to see me work in your life. And there is something that everyone that cannot embrace humility, they're destined to go to. It's called the school of hard knocks. Yeah, I've got a diploma from there. How about you? (laughs) I have a diploma from there. Oh, yes. I can tell you, I just determined, my mother and dad would try to tell me, and sometimes Denise would try to tell me, I remember, and I just, no, I can do it, I don't have to do it, and then I would learn the hard way. You have to graduate from the school of hard knocks, and you get a diploma called humility. And if you don't get your diploma called humility, you are automatically enrolled in the college of conflict. Yes. If you cannot get the humility diploma, you're going to be in the college of conflict. And that is in job relationships, you're going to have conflict and you're going to bounce from job to job to job to job to job. Why? Because there's conflict here. 
You're going to have it in your marriage. You, you say, well, I, I, I met this person I thought I was in love with, but I can't get along, so I need to find somebody else. And then you'll need to find somebody else. And then you'll need to find somebody else. It will follow you in your marriage. It will follow you in your career. It will follow you in your life. It will seep into your family relationships. I call it the college of conflict. Conflict will show up. For you see, heart work is hard work. Heart work is hard work. Being able to walk in humility. James chapter 4, verse number 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In other words, those who say, no, God, you, I'll do it my way. God, you don't tell me. God, I figured it out. It's the people that do what they want to do, and then when they mess it up, they pray God to fix it. <laughs> yeah. And God says, no, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 27, it says, uh, because your heart was responsive and humbled itself. I like that. Your heart was responsive and humbled itself. It's Again, humility is putting ourselves under God, not, not putting ourselves down. And humility is our willingness to receive instruction. So when God talks to you, when wisdom talks to you, when your better judgment talks to you, humility is saying it doesn't matter about my two cents. It doesn't, doesn't matter how I feel. It's not, what I feel is not worth making the point over. Walk away and say, you know what? I'm wrong. Or you know what? I don't have to have my way in this. And God says, if you'll do that, you'll see me begin to show up. Another right turn, I'm going to call it devotion. Devotion. Devotion is willingness to remain faithful. Humility is willingness to receive instruction, to accept instruction. But devotion is willingness to remain faithful. And I believe there are some of us there are some of us, we're sensing a loss of our spiritual vitality. COVID, this time this year, has been taxing and has been spiritually draining in your life. Many of us feel that right now. Many of us are feeling the, the drain of that. Oh, we've lost our spiritual focus. Our spiritual passion isn't what it once was. We're, it's lessening. We're, 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 we're not as engaged, we're not as faithful, we're not as focused on it. That, that garment of praise is in the back of the closet. Yeah, we hung it in the back of the closet, and it's been hanging there since March. When we, when we, when we, we stepped out of church and we, we got away from it, we've let distractions come into our life. And God calls us to a right turn, turn back towards devotion, because devotion... Devotion is maintaining our faithfulness to God. And to strengthen our devotion to God requires us establishing a devotional life. That's what it means. You want to be devoted to God? You want to maintain your spiritual passion? You've got to have a devotional life. For a moment, let me just talk to us all about a devotional life. 
I think during this time, and I've heard people, well, I'm working from home and our kids are at home and things are different and routine is different and we're Zooming this and having to do that and our routine is upset. I think one of the things that this season has attacked and has robbed from many of us is our devotional life. And for many of us, we didn't have a devotional life going into it. So I want to very quickly... I want to invite you from this day forward, this moment forward, to establish or reestablish your devotional life. And there are three things to it. Number one is daily prayer. Daily prayer. Pray for guidance. Pray for wisdom. If you've got teenagers, you need to pray for wisdom. If you're in a job and you have coworkers and you're, or you're a business person and you're making decisions right now, you need to pray for understanding. Pray for understanding. Pray for protection. Absolutely. You send your kids off, they're getting on the bus and they're going to school. Pray for their protection. If your husband is going off in the morning, pray for his protection. If your wife is going about her business day, pray for her protection. Pray for protection for your parents. Pray for protection protection for your family. Pray God's protection. And we should pray, the Bible says, always and really always means to have an attitude of prayer. But I want to invite you, if we could establish 30 minutes a day for devotional life, and one part of that 30 minutes is prayer. Now, your 30 minutes of prayer could be in your drive time. You know what would get would help a lot of us? Turn off talk radio. Turn off talk radio and, and spend that time praying because talk radio gets you mad about so many things, <laughs> right? It can, things you didn't even think you should be mad about by the time you get to work 20 minutes later, guess what? You're mad about it. And you didn't even think about it until talk radio talked you into being mad. Pray daily. Number two is read scripture daily. Read scripture daily. Now, I'll tell you, I hear people say all the time, pastor, I don't know where to read and I read and I don't understand. Well, if you don't understand Scripture, then you should get you a version of Scripture that you do understand. Now, I speak and preach from the NIV. Another good version is the New Living Translation. If, if you want something else that's a little more plain, there's a good news translation. There's the message version. There is a version out there that can help you, and when you read Scripture, you can understand it. You say, where, where should I read? Well, let me just make some suggestions to us. Can I? Allow me. If you're needing wisdom, read Proverbs. If you're searching for wisdom, read Proverbs. If you're searching for God, read Psalms. If you're wanting to get closer to Jesus, read the Gospels. If you're wanting to know more about the working of the Holy Spirit, read the book of Acts. If, if you're wanting your faith to be challenged, go in the Old Testament and read the book of Joshua. There are books that are themed that will encourage you in areas. You wanting joy? Read the book of Philippians. It's four chapters, four pages in your Bible. Read Scripture daily. Now, how, how many Scriptures should you read? Here's what I tell people. How much scripture should you read? Abraham Lincoln was once asked, how long should a man's legs be? And he replied, long enough to reach the ground. Pretty good advice, isn't it? So here's what I tell people. 
How much scripture should I read? You should read until God inspires and something touches your heart. Is that three verses or is that 30 verses? Is that one chapter or is that five chapters? I'm not going to tell you how long you should read, but you should read enough that when you read something and it speaks to your heart and it, it ministers to your spirit. Pray daily, read scripture daily, and number three, this is the one that many of us forget and lose out in our devotional life, and that is reflection, reflection. So here it is, 30 minutes. Maybe it's 10 minutes of prayer. Maybe it's 10 minutes of, of reading Scripture, and it's 10 minutes after Scripture and prayer to just think for a moment and ask yourself the question, what is God saying to me today? The scripture I've read, what is God saying to me today? And how and what can I do to glorify God in my life right now? And after scripture and prayer, can I tell you, God will inspire and speak something to your heart. And that 30 minutes can be life-changing for you. We need devotion because devotion Devotion is our willingness to remain faithful. And if you'll just stay in 30 minutes of prayer and 30 minutes of devotion daily, your faith, your heart will be strengthened. A devotional life requires two things, two things. You need a place and you need a time. This is why 90% of us that don't have a devotional life don't have a devotional life right now. You don't have a place and you don't have a time. If you don't have a place and you don't have a time, you never get around to it. Do you know why that people go to the gym? Is it's a place and a time. Everyone that goes to the gym, they'll tell you, this is the place and I go at 6 o'clock in the evening or 5.30 in the morning or or I go at 7 a.m. in the morning. They have a place and a time in which they do it. And the gym is is a discipline moment for it. They could do everything at the gym they could probably do at home. Yeah. But there's something about a place and a time that puts them on a regimen. So here's the question. Where is your, where's your place in your time? Is it on the back porch? Is it the lunch break that you take every day? Is, is, is there, you have an hour for lunch? Can you take 25 minutes, 30 minutes for lunch? And that's your time that you just go to a corner. You go to a private area. Do you go to a coffee shop and sit there? Where, where is your place in your time? If you don't have a place and a time, you will never have a devotional life. At the house, I have a study and I do study there. That's, that's where I get into God's Word and I read and I, I prepare messages. But if my devotional place, that's not my devotional place. My devotional place is the back porch. I go to the back porch and there I'll put my coffee down and I'll take my Bible and I'll take my, my device and I'll turn on some worship music there. And I listen to it, and I just, I'm not looking for a sermon. I'm just saying, God, speak to my heart. And that's the moment I hear the Holy Spirit whispering to me. And devotion 
is your willingness to remain faithful. And if you will establish a devotional life, it will strengthen your ability to be faithful to God. And number three, and I close with this, a right turn. Turn right in this area, and that's honesty. Honesty is a requirement for restoration. Honesty is a requirement for restoration. A pure in heart, humility, devotion, and honesty. Those three things create a pure heart. I didn't say perfection. I did no, we're not perfect. We don't get everything right. Our humanity shows up. Our, our struggles, our fears, our doubts. We, we have all of those issues that show up in life. But, but if you'll approach God with, with humility, devotion, and importantly, honesty, God says he will honor that. And those people that exemplify those, God says, that's a pure heart. It's undivided. And those people will see God. It's in Psalm chapter 51. David would write this chapter. He was confronted by his own sin. Those that know the story, you're familiar with it. Let me put it very succinctly. David had sinned. It was a grievous sin. He tried to hide it, tried to cover it up, tried to pretend like it. He wasn't being honest with God. And finally, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, your sin has been found out. And at that moment, David got honest with God. Got honest with God. And he wrote this psalm. It opens up by saying, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. It's about time David got honest. He would say there, verse number four, I've been out of step with you for a long time, God. My heart had not been aligned. He was no longer blaming the circumstances. He wasn't blaming somebody else. He became honest with God. I've been out of step. I, I, I have hit it. I haven't been honest with you. It's against you, God, I sinned. And all my transgressions I am now, I am now aware of. I said honesty. Honesty is a requirement to receive restoration. David will open this up and he'll get honest with God. And then finally, it comes down to verse number 12 of this chapter. And he's going to say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. There it is. He got honest with God. And then he could say, God, could you restore me? And God said, yes. That's the purity of heart I've been needing to hear from you. The chapter will end by saying, David said, I'm going to rejoice again at the gates of Jerusalem. Once again, I'm going to sing once again, my heart is going to be restored to God. And God is saying, honesty. So I bring it down. 
church online and here in the room. What has God been talking to us about and we haven't been honest? Will we blame somebody else? Yeah, we can do that. We've all been guilty of that. Do we not deny it? Not me, God. <laughs> not me, God. That's, it's really, no, it's easy to deny. That's, that's human nature. It's very human nature to excuse. Oh, God, if they hadn't have done, I wouldn't have. I, I really don't have a temper problem. They did this to make me mad. They did this against me, and that's the reason I, I did this. And God is saying, your excuses just rob you. You'll never be restored until you get honest with God. Church online, some of us haven't got honest with God. There's a hidden area in our life that we haven't just said, God, shine your light and say, it's my fault. I allowed myself. I, I'm doing it. I made a mistake. I sinned. And honesty is required for restoration. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want to lead this audience in a prayer. Pure in heart, you're going to see God. Is he talking to you about humility? Is he talking to you about your devotion? Is he asking for us to get honest? What is it? If God's asking, it's because there's something he wants to do in your life. So across this auditorium and the balcony and even church online, I'm going to invite you to bow your head for a moment of prayer. As we go into this prayer moment, I just wonder if there's somebody in this room that you need to get honest with God and say, God, I need to make things right with you. I'm not... I've never fully committed my life to Jesus. I, I, I've never really said, Jesus, I give you my all. You've never really become a Christ follower. You think you have. You, you, you've been good at putting on the surface, but down in the deepest chambers of your heart, you know you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. And I'm going to invite you, if that's you, on the count of three to raise your hand. Get honest with God. Don't wait to hope somebody else raises their hand. I don't want to be the only one. First off, no one's looking. The camera is not looking in the room. It's not going to shine on one person. But God is looking. And he sees the heart. And there's something you need to make right with God and some of us. We have something we've never been honest. We're hiding something from God. We love the Lord. We're a Christ follower. But there is something lurking in our life. There's a sin that we know God does not approve. And God is checking you right now and say, get honest about it. That's you. You on the count of three. Raise your hand. Be honest with God. Here it is. One, two, three. That's me. Yes. Thank you, men. Thank, the guy. Thank you, guys. Thank you, fellas. Thank you, yes, man, the balcony. Now let's pray. Father, I bring these people to you, and I sense the Holy Spirit is looking and examining our lives. 
You're looking inside of us, and God, you're wanting our hearts to be pure. Doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we humble ourselves before you, and we get honest with you. And there are people that are repenting of things and doing business with God right now. Honor them. Honor them, Lord, as they say, Jesus, take this away. Jesus, I'm not going to excuse it anymore. I'm going to quit blaming. And some are making a heart commitment. They're saying right now, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I believe you're God's one and only son. They're they're making that full faith commitment to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to serve God, to be a new person in Jesus. And I pray for them. I pray, God, that the joy and the grace of salvation will come upon them and fill their hearts. That they will no longer feel separation, but they will feel inclusion in the family of God. I speak that for them, and I bless them. And I thank you, God, for their commitment this day to become Christ followers. And I speak your goodness upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior, we invite you. We invite you to text two words, new life, new life. If you will text that to the number that we use as our text number, if you will text that, we would love to encourage you, and we would love to strengthen you in your walk of faith. And for all of us, thank you for being here this weekend. Uh, 